data-driven podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Okay, welcome to the Data-Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, leader, or just curious about developing data skills, the Data-Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host and the co-founder of StoryIQ, Dominic Bohan. Today, we're going to discuss data-driven strategies for transformation. Joining us is John Peebles, who is the CEO of Administrate, who provide learning infrastructure for large multinational corporations. Today, John and I are going to discuss the power of training data for digital transformation strategies. Here's my conversation with John Peebles, CEO at Administrate. Thanks for joining us on the Data Driven Podcast today, John. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Can we define digital transformation strategies? What are we trying to achieve there? And then let's look at how we can use training data to support that. It's a great question, a great uh, kind of bit to think through. And I would say that one of my favorite things to, to mention to customers and to our own team and so forth is we all talk about learning. And a lot of us think that learning is writing stuff down or memorizing a fact or figure or something like that. But actually, fundamentally, learning is behavior modification. What are we doing to change based on the things that we have learned? And so for me, when you think about digital transformation or transformation or change management of any kind within an organization, one of the first pieces and most critical components of that is learning and training. And uh, it's super important. So that's kind of how I think in terms of, of the lens of transformation within an organization. Okay. So it's really about changing behavior. I think so. That's you the know, key. Did, did we actually learn anything by, you know, we, we still touched that hot pan the second time and burned ourselves again. That's that, that's not real learning, is it? We got to change that behavior. And, uh, and then that evidence is that the training was actually effective. Okay. And can you give us some examples of the behavioral changes we're trying to affect and maybe how that ties into a broader strategy? Yeah. So when you think about change with an organization, it can come from a lot of different fronts, right? We, we all live through COVID. We've all worked at companies that maybe have acquired another company or launched a new product or been acquired or have said the strategy next year is going to be different from what we were doing this year. I think these are all good examples of change. And they're also good examples of things that are very difficult to do. It is very difficult to get us humans to do something differently, even when we're being paid. And particularly when there are larger groups of people in complex organizations, which many of us work and live within day to day, that can be even more difficult. And so good example is one of our customers is Dell. Maybe we've all had a Dell laptop or monitor or something mm -hmm. in the past, but actually they're one of the largest companies in the United States. They're Fortune 15. They have about 40,000 sales professionals that sell a huge array of products to enterprises and they acquire companies constantly. And that means that this sales team has to get trained on how to sell new products, how to sell products better, more quickly, et cetera, constantly. And that is a huge, huge job. If you think about how do we get a message out to 40,000 people around the world in different languages and locations and so forth, that is a, that is a stupendous challenge for, for an organization like Dell or organizations of similar size. And so how do you do that is a real key concern and worry because if these salespeople aren't producing sales, Dell's going to have a huge problem. And, and so it's kind of like, how do we get this done? And, and that's a huge problem to solve. Okay. But can we run with this example for a bit before we get into how we can use data to support it? So looking at the Dell example, we've got yeah tens of thousands of people across the globe, different languages, all sorts of things. How do we even begin to get the right skills to the right people and do that in a way that's going to be scalable. Absolutely. This is a huge, huge challenge. And I can tell you that one of the first ports and only ports of call that most organizations have is they go, uh-oh, and they whip out a spreadsheet. And if they're really sophisticated, it might be Airtable or a Google spreadsheet because those are e easier to, to share, right, and collaborate on. And they just start working away and they build these spreadsheets mm -hmm. that are usually 
shared across regions, but often not. And immediately we've created a, a data silo, right? That is divorced mm-hmm. from the rest of the information that's out there in the company. And, and that's the state of the art, unfortunately. And so at Administrate, what our thesis is, is that this is not a good way to run a multinational, multi-million dollar training operation. And so we have spent the last decade basically building infrastructure that will support this operation. And it's, it's more complicated on the surface or actually underneath than, than it would appear on the surface. And I think the reason for that is most of us have been to school. We've mo- most of us have been to college to some extent, and we have all been in a classroom and we kind of see that from the student's perspective. And actually, when you think about it, most training in corporate America today is still done in a classroom. And most importantly, the highest value training is done in a classroom. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? We do our e-learning stuff is, you know, our annual compliance training or whatever, (laughs) and it's kind of boring. And we hit next a hundred times and then we Mm -hmm. take the 10 question quiz or whatever. And I'm being, I'm being, you know, a little bit dramatic there, but Uh, that's been my experience. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone everywhere seems to nod along at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you really want to teach somebody how to do their job or if something's super important, right, you put them in a classroom. Often you'll put them hands-on with equipment or software that they need to be to become proficient at. And that means all of a sudden that we now have a different mechanic involved, which is we got to make sure that the right people are at the right place at the right time. And that is a super difficult problem. And it's made even more difficult by the fact that many training teams don't have their own dedicated resources. They're sharing meeting rooms with the rest of the company and so forth. And so what our software does, our infrastructure is basically helps them solve this scheduling challenge, gets the data in one spot and in a consistent manner that we can then integrate with the rest of the business systems. And then they've got a platform to start making decisions around training and around the business that are evidenced by data. Okay. Music to my ears to hear the value of live in-person training. That's what we're all about at Story IQ as well, especially for the highest value training that you do. Now we've seen a huge shift since the pandemic in people working from home and being quite resistant to being dragged. Maybe it's a commute into the office. Maybe they've moved into state and now it's very difficult to get people together into a room. So is that something you've observed and is it something that administrates able to help with? I think we have observed that to some extent. I think that one of the things that obviously accelerated very quickly was this move to virtual classrooms. You know, just because it's a classroom doesn't mean it has to be necessarily in the same actual physical space. I think though, what we have also seen is many many of our customers that are doing this very high value, very important training that could be mission critical, could be be lives at stake, right? If you're a medical device manufacturer or something, they still want to get you into a classroom with peers, with Mm -hmm. the instructors there to help you out. And I think yeah, there probably is a little bit of resistance there, but also we're kind of seeing this. We're just so happy to be able to be back in our normal training environments. And I think it's probably one of those things where everybody grumbles a little bit about it, getting on the plane or train mm-hmm. or whatever to get there. But once they're there, they're like, actually, this is so much better in person and in a classroom. And so what we for sure have seen is that the percentage of training done in a classroom has maintained pretty high, which is about 80%, hasn't moved at all uh, over the last few years, including the pandemic. And I, I think that just means it's very, very sticky. Okay. That, that's interesting. That's not what we've seen. So is that uh, 80% still classroom training? Is that for particularly high value training investments specifically? It's probably a little bit skewed towards high value training. So something you're paying a couple thousand dollars, maybe over you know five days or something like that. So high value monetarily, I think it also has skewed a little bit towards training that's required to do your job. So in manufacturing, for example, I could have worked my entire career assembling BMW cars, and then I quit and go to Mercedes. I'm still going to have to be extensively retrained because while it's the same industry and both, you know, both vehicles have four wheels, it's like, it's a completely different manufacturing process and assembly line and so forth. So for sure, it's skewed a little bit in those areas. I would say though, that we've also seen some trends 
particularly around software companies where they're maybe maybe selling training to support high dollar products, you know, million dollar software system or, or some of those things, they are actually charging more for the remote <laughs> virtual classroom mm-hmm. than the in-person classroom. And I, you know, I, I, I think that makes sense in hindsight, but at the time I was like, wow, that's kind of, that's kind of unusual. And, um, and so we're seeing a few of those trends, but yeah, for sure. Manufacturing, medical devices, uh, stuff that's on the job, re- job requirement training, those types of things we, we have seen hold very, very steady. A lot of other stuff is slid around, you know, if it's, if it's lower value or, you know, you can knock it out in a couple hours, people are getting creative. Right. Why do you think that some of these niche providers are charging more for online versus in-person training? Well, I think when you've got your brand dialed in, when you've got a very, very slick perception of the training that you're offering, and maybe I'll back up for just one second. There's some interesting research that was done a a few years ago, and uh, it was put in a book called What Makes a Great Training Organization, and that's published by the folks over at trainingindustry.com. And, you know, I'm not making any money. My referral link is not in the description (laughs) below, all that stuff. But but the, the part that I found very interesting in this book was they surveyed folks that had been on a variety of different training courses and the largest driver towards the perception of quality of the training that they received was around the administrative experience. And so mm-hmm. if students could go to a nice looking website and book on really easily and rebook and all the notifications showed up and you got texted and all this stuff and the right cadence and things, they thought that that training was way better than maybe the actually really good training, which had a worse experience. And that probably mirrors my behavior or our behavior um, when we really think about it. But I think you know that's a that's a real clue as to what is one of those things that can help you charge a premium in your space if you're a training provider. Um, I think that administrative thing is so important. It's not just because I'm the CEO of a company called Administrate. <laughs> <laughs> that helps solve that problem. You know, that was independent research done and, and uh, you know, we came to that long after we'd, we'd set down this road. Yeah, I mean, I did not believe it. It uh, seems to be true in a lot of industries with everything for, like to fast food, right? Or delivery food where it's like, yeah, I'll take a lower quality pizza if I know it's going to arrive on time, consistent product, easy experience ordering it online. Yeah. Or you look at the challenger banks, right? Here in the UK, all of these companies like Monzo and Revolut and stuff, it's just a nicer app experience and a nicer onboarding experience. It's the same fundamental service, if not even slightly worse than than what a normal bank can provide, but it looks great and it it's a lot easier to use. So people love it. You know, it's like kind of the fundamental thing of why these why these uh competitors have popped up all over the place. So administrate is a platform that allows people to book training, manage the post-training experience, uh, potentially feedback, things like that. And so you're not creating any content. You're agnostic as to what gets put up on there. Customer can put anything they want really. And it's about making that experience just super easy, which presumably increases the uptake rate. And of course, gives us data that we can use to improve the experience. Uh, Absolutely. And, And even more importantly, we're making the student experience a lot slicker, but it's the back office administrators experience that also becomes way, way better. We'll, we'll knock 80 to 90% off the workload that's typically experienced by, you know, a training scheduler or coordinator. And then now they got the data, but even more importantly, now they have the time to look at the data and use the data and think about it and, and so forth, which is a huge, huge problem when you're just running around trying to send reminder emails to everybody. Right, right. Trying to beg someone at a particular site to use a meeting room and shuffle things around. Okay. Yep. Been there. Okay. So let's have a look at the sort of data that you can get out of a platform like Administrate and other data that gets generated. People are using other platforms are doing it the more manual way. And then let's look at what we can do with it. Absolutely. I think what is key around this whole decision to really use this data and incorporate it into the main business operations is you got to find a platform that has really thought long and hard and prior- prioritized this idea of data access. And what that means from a geek perspective is 
you've got to have an API. It's got to be a rich API from this vendor if you want to get data in and out. And it's it's really got to be, they need to have approached this problem from an API first mindset. And that's been super important for us over the last five years is as a customer of Administrate or a, you know, a vendor or user that's got access to our platform, you have access with the right permissions to the exact same API that our own engineers use to build our platform. So if you can see it being done, it can be done. And that's important because not only are we trying to get a bunch of data out of Administrate, we're also trying to put data into Administrate to then use it and marry it up with, with, our, with our operations and our decision-making. What are some of the main platforms you connect to through your API? Yeah. So what, what typically happens is with our customers, they're going to want to connect their main business system with Administrate. And for a lot of companies, that's Salesforce, right? Some CRM. Be Salesforce would be Dynamics. If you're a manufacturer, that might be your ERP or MRP system like SAP or, uh, you know, again, Microsoft Dynamics. And the reason that you want to connect that stuff up is, and I'll just give a, a kind of a silly example with a customer of ours called Fordrock. And they came to us when they were a tiny little startup. And uh, we rode along with them the whole way as they went public and eventually got acquired and so forth. And so they grew from just a handful of people to you know a couple thousand employees. And it was a really cool journey. They were an open source software product company in the identity management space. And so they made money. A lot of the money they made was from training in the early days. And more importantly, training was also kind of lead gen for them. So if you wanted to mm -hmm. stand up a single sign-on service, you'd start looking around for what is single sign-on and so forth. You find their training, you might take a course and you might get interested and try their software. Well, uh, Kevin is the VP of training over there. And uh, he, he, was like, Hey, I, I need to, to offer this high end training that includes, you know, lunches and meals that are catered in. And he said, you know, dietary requirements is a super important thing. And so he emails the Salesforce administrators like, Hey, can we add this drop down pick list into Salesforce? And, uh, I need to track dietary requirements. And the email comes back. It's like, no. <laughs> right. And it's like, kind of like, yeah, I get it, right? On, on the one hand, training is a small piece of their business and they don't want to gum up the main data model that they're using to track all their important relationships and things like that. But on the other hand, with that decision of no, a spreadsheet is born because now Kevin and his team have to track this thing. If you show up and you're a vegetarian, you don't have the right meal or you know, if you're a meditarian, you're not going to be happy, right? And you've paid $2,000 for this class. So it's, it's that idea of we want the training team to be able to access the data from the CRM and Salesforce that they need, like demographic information and maybe you know what products they've been purchased and so forth. But we also want the training team to have their own playground where they can add to the data model without gumming up the rest of the company's operations. And so that's why a lot of these connectors that we that we have and that get built between the the two products will involve kind of a selective sync of information. So it'll pull over the things that are important to the training team and push back things that are important to the rest of the business. Uh, but it, you know, each, each, uh, team has their own playground, if you will, that they can, that they can do whatever they need to within. And, and that's super important. So Salesforce CRM is one of the big, uh, connections that, that gets made right away. Feedback you mentioned earlier, we want to make sure whatever feedback engine they're using, if it's a Qualtrics or, you know, even SurveyMonkey or SurveyGizmo, something like that. A lot of customers will use a lab product. So we've got a great partnership with a company called CloudShare, uh, but basically they manage spinning up and down instances of software that, you know, if I need to learn how to operate a piece of software, they can spin up an AWS image and I can log into it and do whatever I want and then they destroy it. And it's on a, on a recipe, if you will. Um, that's another uh, key thing, e-commerce integrations. So a lot of companies that want to sell their training, they already have that hooked up or we can help them with that. So you kind of get the idea that we're, we're plugging into almost every piece of a, of a traditional business. And mm -hmm. um, it's unusual or rare for a learning product, right? Uh, it's the and, first I've heard of it. Absolutely. And, and, uh, but it's super important because there's all of these examples and, and it just start to fall out where the training team can move from being this reactive, we're waiting around for, you know, to be told what to do. And, and we can't just fire a budget to getting on the forefront of business change. And that's where we get really, really excited. Do you also connect to HR systems like Workday? 
Absolutely. So in fact, we just, we just finished our first workday connector and a couple of customers have, have been using that in the past. But typically, if you think about it again at Dell's scale, they are hiring and saying goodbye to people by the dozens minimum every day. And so again, that's emails that are coming across to the training team. They have to key in. They have to put the person on a learning path. They have to make sure that they're on board and all that. We can automate all of that. And, and that's super, super exciting. And then Workday can get back results if they want to of what trainings have happened, where they are in the journey and things. And they, they can use that for appraisals or, or whatever it is that they want to use, which they haven't had, had access to before. Okay. And so can folks choose to do the reporting layer in their own system or feed it into Workday or Salesforce or do it through your system? It sounds like the data can go in either direction. Yeah. And what we normally, what we normally suggest to customers is we have a reporting engine built in within administrate. Uh, we think it's pretty great. You know, it's drag and drop SQL basically. And you know, that is really, really helpful for a lot of operational day-to-day reporting and so forth. And the training team will usually just go nuts with that. I think the over under is usually like 110 reports or something that the, the average customer will have. But they also want to make sure that they're pushing information to the rest of the organization. And so most of our customers will already have some sort of BI platform or dashboarding platform that they're using. And the difficulty is a lot of times the classic way to do this is you try to suck all the data out of the the system, put it in the BI you know, data lake or whatever mm-hmm. they're calling it. And then the, the the data folks over there, the BI folks will will you know, put together these dashboards and reports. And the challenge with that, that we have found is that because that data is usually not honed operationally, i.e. it's being accessed every day, you know, what, where is this class and so forth? It tends to be stale. It tends to become uh, untrustworthy because of that. And so what we recommend is that actually the training team builds the views of the data that they want to push out to the BI platform or to the dashboard. And then they, the BI platform or dashboard consumes that, that data from administrate. And so if the training team wants to make a change, they can do that and they've got that control. And, and we found that that has worked really, really well and is kind of, again, made in some cases other groups within the organization look a little bit, you know, behind the times because the training stuff is really clean and they can change it when they need to and so forth. And, and that's been, that's been pretty fun. And they'll make those changes within administrate. Yeah. And then each of our reports, every report within the system has an API endpoint. You just hit it or you can distribute it via, you know, scheduled email or something like that, depending on how you want to ingest. And uh, it's, it's super powerful. And just by providing the tools to people, They'll learn. We've had people learn mm. GraphQL to to start writing even more complicated reports and things like that. And it, it's been pretty neat to see. Okay. And if they're not interested in learning GraphQL or learning how to use APIs, can you support them and provide yeah. a red yeah. carpet kind of service? Yeah. There's a couple of ways we do that, right? We can, we can do the work. Um, we also have an integration platform as a service hooked up to administrate called Workato. There's a bunch of these products out there. Boomi is one. MuleSoft is one. And basically, these products can plug into Administrate. You can then do drag and drop workflows and automations and things like that. And so, a lot of times, it's the business analysts who aren't necessarily coding, but they're, you know, they're responsible for these workflows, like you would be with your marketing automation platform or whatever. Okay, so someone's going to be able to do a lot of drag and drop without having to. Pick up yeah. the phone to you, basically. And, and it's kind of like you pick your level of, uh, you pick your poison, right? Do you want to do drag and drop? Do you want to code? You know, mm-hmm. Do you want us to do it all? That Those are all op- options on the table. Okay. And once we've got those options, we've got the data from the APIs, data is being generated within the platform, like administrate itself. What can we do with it? And what so, are you seeing people achieve? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of stories that I love. The first is again from Fordrock. I'll pick on them a little bit uh, while we're while we're talking, but they're a subscription software company like we are. You know, so a SaaS company, and they would typically sell you know one to three to five year deals of their software. And when it came up time for renewal, you know renewals are super important. They're how the company is valued. They're a great indicator of you know product market fit. It's just it's just really really important, particularly when you're trying to grow quickly, which they were. 
And they found that they were just being blindsided by renewals from time to time. And I don't think this was a huge problem, but it was just like one of those things where it's like, you know, how can we get ahead of this? And so mm -hmm. what Kevin and his team at Fordrock did is they were like, actually, one of the best predictors of uh, retention with a customer would be related to the training. Because if you think about it, if you are annoyed at a product or it's not working for you or you're going to cancel, you're going to stop training on that product. <laughs> you're going to stop mm -hmm. learning about it. And so what they managed to do is they actually uh, tweaked their Salesforce connector to push back the activity data from customers to the renewals team right within Salesforce. So when they were going through and looking at their work list and saying, okay, these, these 50 customers are you know coming up for renewal in Q2, it would have how many hours, how many users had taken training, all of this stuff right there. And they could actually sort by that and be like, hmm, you know, nobody's done any training in the last three months for these five customers. We need to call them and figure it out and see what's going on. And they re they managed to 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 drastically reduce their kind of surprise churn through just that simple few data points that were that were surfaced up right where the renewals team was working. So they didn't have to call over an email and all that stuff. And then what action did they take? So they would I, they would just literally call up the customer and say, mm -hmm. "Hey, uh, we're <laughs> we're noticing that." Uh, you may not be happy. You may not be, you haven't used your training hours and all this stuff and, and try to suss out what was going on. And sometimes it was even like, well, I didn't know that this training was there. Uh, I've got a problem and I couldn't find the right training that I needed to solve it. And so it became almost this virtuous feedback loop. And, uh, it was, it was a real great story for, for that, for that company. That is a nice one. So at administrate, do you focus more on companies that are training their customers as opposed to companies that are training their people? You know, it's, it's a mix. Um, I would say today it's about 50, 50. Mm. We definitely started from the customer training side. That was kind of the initial area that, that seemed to resonate with companies. They're like, we need to get this sorted out. A lot of mm. times it's because they were selling their training. And so it was a, as a revenue source for them. But I think as time has moved on more and more, we are seeing companies come to us with the more kind of internal training use case, like we were talking about with Dell. Another example that I love of like using training data uh, from your, your own employees to help the business is from a company called Boston Whaler. And they are um, strangely located in North Florida, of all places. Uh, they are, uh, if you're not familiar with them, they make kind of small pleasure craft boats, right? So fishing boats and, you know, stuff. You're, and, and they're really cool. They've got this very unique extruded foam method of filling up their hulls. And I don't understand all the, the science behind it, but I'll never forget <clears throat> they had this ad that they ran in the 80s, which was, a boat chopped in half with the front gone and they're just driving around the harbor and it, they call it, they call them unsinkable boats. Cause I guess like the hull itself <laughs> is, will just float no matter what. Right. So we visited them what they, and we, they became our customer during a period of really explosive growth. So they were trying to double the size of their factory, both in headcount, but also in floor space and production. They were building a couple of new boat lines. And so this is a huge challenge for them. And what they did is the training team there got very clever and they used our API to basically hook up their manufacturing resource planning assembly line software. And so what happened was the training team was receiving information about where manufacturing errors had occurred on the factory floor on, you know, kind of a daily basis or maybe it's hourly. I can't quite remember. And what they started doing is they started saying, Hmm, you know, we're seeing, that these people made these mistakes in these areas of the factory. And they were like, let's look at their certifications. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them had, were out of date. So they got retrained. They're like, Hmm, we've noticed the pattern where this instructor actually is, is releasing cohorts of students that are not well-trained because the instructor might have a problem. It wasn't like in a prosecutorial, you mm -hmm. know, punishment way, but they were using this operational data to actually go in and, and make very targeted training interventions and what happened was when I visited them and was taking a tour, I said, what do you like about administrate? And the CEO goes, well, it reduces our manufacturing errors. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. like not normally what you'd expect to hear from a learning product. Right. But that's the power of data when it's hooked up in the right places. That's right. This is the problem we hear all the time talking to people in learning and development, or even the challenge we face with our own company story IQ that delivers corporate training. 
how do you prove the value? And so it's often in indirect way. It's like, well, they've got these skills and we presume that now that they have these skills, they'll be able to do something that actually makes us money. And this leaping straight to something that directly impacts the bottom line is what everyone is really seeking here. Absolutely. And it's, if you think about it, this is, this is nobody's fault, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, we all know what we want to do and we all know what we need to do. But if you think about it without a platform that is hooked up in near real time, you, you just, you're going to drown in spreadsheets. You're going to have to have a data analyst that you're employing full time to sneaker net this stuff all around between multiple systems. It's a nightmare. The other thing they did is they just surfaced training materials on the assembly line floor through their manufacturing resource planning software. And that was pulling straight from administrate. And so if you went to install a propeller, you'd have the manual for how to install a propeller. You'd have courses there that you could click into and remind yourself how to do this. And it was right there on the computer on the factory floor. And it's like, these are minor things that have outsized impact, you know, and, and it it was, they, they were, it was a really fun customer. They just, they got all over it and they were very successful. And uh, the CEO of Boston Whaler eventually got promoted to be the group CEO of these 18 different boat brands. And I think a lot of it was around the success that they had as a, as an organization, but the training team was a huge part of that. I love this story and what you've touched on. It sounds like such a small thing. Like I've got to install this propeller. How do I do it? You'd think it wouldn't make much difference, but I've seen this in so many different industries. Just that tiny bit of friction, like 10 seconds, 30 seconds can be the difference between, yeah, I'll watch the video versus, yeah, I think I know how to install it. I'll just do my best. (laughs) Absolutely. And if you're like me, you just, yeah, you're just going to go for it. Right. And (laughs) and it's like... (laughs) This gets very expensive very quickly. Uh, mm. The the other amazing thing that they did, which I don't think would have ever occurred to me, is they were trying to hire folks and they're bringing them through. And they had classes that were really interesting, like you know, hull fiberglassing, like how to fiberglass a hull, right? And so they would have students go through, and they knew that it would take you four or five times of fiberglassing to get it right. But they realized that what was happening is uh, I would be taught how to fiberglass something. I would do it badly the first time. And then I would be like, well, I'm within my probationary period, 90 days, right? I'm just going to quit before they fire me because that was terrible. You know, are they leaving just because they felt it was too difficult? They felt they weren't supported enough to learn the skill. Yeah. Or the expectation hadn't been set that nobody gets this right on the first try. Right. Mm. And so they would go for it. It wasn't great. And they would just be like, well, I'll just go to the factory down the road and, you know, try my luck there. And so what they did is they could look into the data and be like, man, these people are resigning. And it's after this one segment of this one course. (laughs) And they dug in and they're like, what's going on here? And then they managed to reset expectations. They changed how the training was conducted. And so their involuntary employee turnover went way down as well because they could kind of find where were the friction hot spots on these training programs, smooth them out. And uh, that really decreased the time to to folks getting onboarded as well. So just so many little benefits of like just having a few points of data linked up to the rest of the organization is, it was really cool. Yeah. And just having it all in one place. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, we talked a lot about APIs and connecting to external data sources. What about generating data? What about your classic post-training surveys or post-training check-ins and skill assessments? Is that something that the platform itself provides uh, probably you've got the option to plug into external software as well yeah we we provide a couple of ways to do that um most of our customers are using external pieces of software and but but the key thing that we do is if you're using a survey monkey for example you can build out any kind of survey lo- loads of different question choices and things like that what we make sure is that when we build these integrations, that the data comes back and is stored within administrate, right? And then that means that they can relate it uh, to any of the other data that's in the platform. And I, I think I think that's that's really important. Uh, another thing that's really popular kind of feature, but it it almost um, it's almost you look at it from a feature lens, but I think when you actually take a step back, it's a it's a massive driver of quality is around communications. 
So we've mm-hmm. got a pretty sophisticated uh, communication system that you can basically set up triggers and sequences and all the, the kind of typical marketing automation stuff that, that we've come to expect. But it's around your students and the training and so forth. And even just things like in six months time, hey, we just released this refresher course and maybe you should check it out. And your certification is close to expiring and all that stuff. That all can be automated. And more importantly, you can actually hook it up if you choose to, to SMS your students and things like that, because a lot of times, depending on where you are in the world, folks don't use email as much maybe, or uh, the, you know, the, the, the click through and deliverability weight rates on text messages are way higher than email. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it kind of all feeds into that. We're getting a much higher quality experience and product for no additional work. In fact, much less work because I'm not having to do this stuff manually. Right. And I've seen that in so many organizations. It's like, oh, I've got a reminder on my calendar, email everyone, their certifications expired, go to the spreadsheet where I see who's has expired this month. <laughs> yeah. It's a it, nightmare. This is still happening in 2023. Yeah. yeah. It's a nightmare. And all of those workflows that you mentioned can, can be massively, if not completely automated, you cut way, way down. And it's like that simple act of let's just say we made a, a minor change, right? We got to move classroom, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe just across the hall, right? How do you do that in a spreadsheet based environment where with administrate, you make the change. It says, do you want to update everybody? You say, yeah, it blasts out an email and it updates all the calendar invites all for everybody, mm-hmm. including the instructors automatically. And that sounds so mundane, but it it's such a huge problem of scale for, for so many companies. Uh, now that's the easy part not to understate how valuable it is. Uh, the hard part from my experience has been scheduling, especially for live and especially for in-person training. So getting that critical mass together, maybe people have to fly out. We've got to spend money on facilities. How can we automate that yes. or automate at least some of it? Yeah. So you, you, <laughs> you have really articulated the problem well, and this is something we've been thinking about deeply for four or five years, you know, cause it's kind of like what you just said, the first few years we were trying to just make the nuts and bolts, like work a lot better. But what we found was, okay, I can quickly and smoothly kind of change the location of my classroom, but that's just one event. That's just one class. Right. And actually I might be running hundreds of these per day, probably all across the world and things are changing all over the place. But even more importantly, I need to start planning for what's coming out next year, you know? And that is a very, very difficult problem. Imagine trying to run three to 4,000 classes over the next year or even quarter or six months. And there'll be thousands of instructors involved. There'll be tens of thousands of students. This is a huge, huge problem. And actually a lot of our customers used to kind of lock their teams away for two or three weeks and they would start trying to get a draft up and then you have collisions and then you've got a reflow. And even just thinking like, is John available? Right. I got to go check John's calendar and I got to see, I got to make sure John put in all his holidays for next year in advance. And he might even know when he's going on holiday and all that type of stuff. So what we did is we started thinking, how can we, how can we solve this problem? And we felt we we were uniquely positioned to solve this problem because we had all this data within our platform. So you can hook up your calendars to administrate, your instructors, your meeting rooms, things like that. Um, we can read off and see and see the availability. We know what students are supposed to do, right? In terms of what paths of learning they're on. And so for the last three years, we've been working on uh, what we call the scheduler, right? Massive marketing muscle was put behind that, that, that name, <laughs> the scheduler. Uh, and what it does is it basically, you go in and say, I want to run these three or 400 courses over the next three to six months, whatever time frame, And you hit solve. And basically there's a little bit of AI worrying away in the background and it starts to do the puzzling and the matrix and the Tetris game to get everything lined up. And uh, actually it's a, it's, we could geek out on the computer science mm. quite a bit because it's an NP hard problem or the traveling salesman problem. If we remember back to computer science classes, but uh, effectively it'll come up with a solution pretty quickly. Um, and it'll do, you know, 1500, 2000 solves a second. But what we really want to do is we want to optimize the solution. So we want to get the most optimal allocation of resources. And then after about half an hour, it pops out 
a plan, a suggested plan. And then what is really cool and our customers really love is that gets them about 60, 70, 80% there, but then they can start dragging and dropping and kind of massaging the schedule a bit and we'll provide decision support for them and say, yeah, you can, you can move that, but that instructor is not available on that day. You know, mm-hmm. he is available on these days and, and so forth. We're really excited about this. We just launched it about a month ago. And we think it's going to be a game changer for, for customers, particularly trying to schedule training at scale. I could say that's going to be huge demand for it. Uh, the traveling salesman problem. I'm not familiar with that. Can you tell us what that is? Maybe that gives us an idea of what we're trying to do here, how yeah. we're approaching it. Yeah. So there's this class of problems in computer science called NP hard problems. And basically what it means is you can't prove that the solution that you've come up with is the best solution. You can prove that it will work, but you can't prove mm-hmm. that it's the most optimized. And the example that is used to, to kind of concrete this is the traveling salesman problem. So <clears throat> let's say we've got a salesman or salesperson and they need to visit you know, 15 different customers over the next year and or, or month or whatever. And we need to find the most optimal route for them to take in order to visit those customers. Now, mm. it kind of depends on what you define optimal to be, right? Is it the lowest cost? Is it the fastest? Is it the one that gets all customers visited within the next six months, you know, or, or whatever. And, and so we can, we can basically start to compute this, but because there's so many variables and there's so many different things, we can only prove mathematically that this is a workable solution. And so the way that you combat this is you try to solve it many, many different ways as fast as you can. Mm. And then you rank the solutions and you pick the top one, right? And that's effectively what we're doing with this scheduling problem. Okay. So is this one of these problems where if you were to explore every single permutation, you end up with more permutations than particles in the observable yes. universe, that kind of thing. You got it. Absolutely. Okay. And, and it explodes out really, really fast, mm. right? So we're just talking about distance and probably time and cost on that one. But you, just for a training class, it's location, it's who does it, it's where, it's you know what time and all, the, all this stuff, it explodes out massively. Okay. So theoretically, if we had a salesperson that's got to visit three sites, Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles, and find the fastest route, we could solve it. But for any practical problem, it becomes not fully mathematically solvable. Yeah. But you can say to a certain degree of confidence, we think this is efficient based on what you've defined efficient to be. Yes. And there's all of these kind of strategies. And this is where the AI comes into play is you want to make sure that you don't fall into the trap of the the local maximum, right? So you, you think you've gotten a really good solution, but you're kind of like, you know, uh, sequestered over in this one area. That's actually not the best way to solve the problem. And, and so you, 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 there's all this, all these te- techniques to introduce randomness and so forth and break you out of that, that, that trap. But, you know, fundamentally <clears throat> what we're excited about in the future of this is, you know, even, even that idea of what's the best training schedule becomes very interesting when you talk to customers. So some of our customers have large simulators, like uh, our customer Maersk over in Denmark. Um, mm-hmm. they have these, these, uh, bridges of ships, right? So it's like a ship bridge and you go in as a captain in training and the, the windows are video screens and you're, you're driving your boat and you hope you don't get it stuck in the Suez. And you know, that's very, very expensive gear. And the, and so for them, what success looks like is not a minute of time on that simulator is wasted, right? So they have just mm. been rammed full to capacity and they'll move anything else around to make sure that, 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 uh, that, that resource is not wasted. We've got other customers that are like, well, we've got a few instructors that we employ and we've got a few that we don't and they're consultants that are more expensive. So actually we want to not use the consultant resources <laughs> as much as we want to mm. use them as little as possible. And we want to ram our internals. And then some customers are like, actually we want all the, the, to share the pain evenly. And so, you know, spread the load out. So these different optimization strategies come into play and uh, that's where it kind of gets interesting as well. Yeah. And this does sound like an ideal problem for AI where you can give it a clear reward function, like minimize idle time for the incredibly expensive ship simulator. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, um, 
we're, we're so, it took so long for us to get this built mainly because most of the legwork was just collecting the data, right? Making sure the data was out of people's heads, out mm. of people's whiteboards, out of other systems that people own into administrate so that we can then access it and, and start evaluating using that data. And, you know, that's where we have, there's a lot of learning management systems out there. We could take this code, we could mail it to them all with instructions on how to use it. And they couldn't get it to work because they do not hold the data that we do on what's required to run classes, when and where, and so forth. And that that's just a part of the, the challenge of this problem. Okay. So a lot of your strength is the real world data that you've collected from such a diverse group of clients. And then you're also running simulations as well. Yeah. And a lot of it is just around decision support. So we're, our, our strategy is we try to, we want to get a solution that's 80 to 90% there ideally, but even if it's 60, 70% there, they can still be in the driver's seat. They can make all the decisions, mm -hmm. the kind of analogy they like to use or what we're shooting for is we want to be that computer in star Wars episode four, right? When they start the mm -hmm. trench run of the X fighter and it, the computer comes down over the eye and you know that you can choose to use the computer, right? But if you're a Jedi, you may not need to, right? And ultimately he, Luke doesn't, but it's there. And so that's kind of what we see our role in, in some of these, some of these pieces of, of the problem. I'm yet to meet anyone with Jedi level skills at scheduling <laughs> training for hundreds of people. We I need would, more training. would definitely take the computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. But maybe we just need more training and that that's the secret to more Jedi. Who knows? You know, that must be, let's, uh, <laughs> let's make sure that quote is prominently repeated when we promote this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, the only hiccup I can see is the fluidity of scheduling training. So we optimize for minimizing idle time on the ship simulator or making sure we've got our best trainers deployed to the right training, but then the ship simulator breaks down or our trainer unexpectedly gets sick or the company changes its priorities. And so it's this constantly moving set of pieces. How do we deal with that? So it's like you've been working on our team for the last three years because <laughs> this is this is the second piece of that problem, right? The first mm -hmm. piece is we we get a great solution that we're super happy about right and then we celebrate new years and because we're headquartered in scotland we then celebrate one more day of new years because we we need that recovery time <laughs> uh and so on the third of january we go back to work and you're like uh-oh you know like you said a simulator has burned down or, or something mm -hmm. you know somebody has gone on maternity leave or somebody has resigned and you know and all of a sudden the plan is just you know toast and that happens mm -hmm. very quickly and then it's kind of like well you try to slot in other things and the whole schedule starts to get wobbly and you, you can go down a rabbit hole and it very, very quickly. And so that's the next piece of the problem that we're tackling. A lot of customers have said, this is great. You've saved months of time, but we need that feature set where we can go in and basically pin the schedule that still is workable, right? We don't mm -hmm. want to change too much, but we've got this problem and I liken it to what we're shooting for is when I'm flying with Delta and my flight gets delayed or canceled, I'll just get pinged on the app and it says, you know, we've rebooked you on this flight. Here are three more options. If you don't like any of those, call us. Right. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like, that's what we're trying to get to with the, the evolution of this scheduling product. There's, there's the two problems. There's get a schedule that works and then have the ability to fill in holes or replace things when, when life happens. Mm hmm. That makes sense. I like the flight rebooking example. I might not be thrilled about it, but I'm still infinitely happier to be presented with some options and not have to call someone right away than just being, I've flown with certain airlines where I'm like, oh, I'm stranded now. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to speak to. I don't even know what number to call. Yeah. And imagine it from the airline's perspective, right? They're, they're going to get 200 people calling them if they don't mm. have this nailed down. And that is super stressful. That could blow up your entire day or two days of work. And it's, it's a very unpleasant spot to be in. So anything we can do to just really smooth out and make the administrator's life easier, we believe pays off tenfold with students. I can believe it. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing. So to recap, we've looked at how we can bring together data from a huge range of different sources through an API, collect it all in one place, analyze it, and then also make it easy for people to book training follow up on training and for training administrators to save loads and loads of time by scheduling training 
and we can get people doing more of the right training and have access to more of the right resources that they need at their fingertips. So a lot of things that we can do if we've got the right platform, lots of great features there from Administrate. Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we close out today? I think just that a big part of our job we feel is getting those things solved for our customers in order for them to have a seat at the leadership table. What we want to see is we want to see training have a outsized impact on the organization and the team that is responsible for that, progressing the careers, you know, getting that shot at the leadership table because it's just so important, right? And if you, you know, I'm the CEO of our business and if I want to make a change, I want training right there beside me leading the charge. And all too often what happens is they're relegated to the the back room basement and they just get some email saying, we're going to do this thing and you got to prepare new content and load it up into the LMS and it's got to be done next week. And they're just drowning. And that reactive position or posture that a lot of training teams and training leaders find themselves in, we think is a huge strategic mistake. We understand how it gets that way, mm. but I think by leveraging a platform and the right infrastructure, we can get the training team on the forefront of the business and they're the first phone call, not the last. All right. I'm sold. <laughs> Thanks Great. for joining us, John. Thanks so much for having me. That wraps up this episode of the data-driven podcast. Thanks to John Peebles, CEO of Administrate for joining us. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about John, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at John Peebles, or visit his company website, getadministrate.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes listening to this podcast, head on over to datadrivenpod.com. We've got summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. Of course, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn or via storyiq.com. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of data-driven brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today. But remember, until next time, when it comes to data, less is more.